Welcome to the Comfy Living Podcast, where you'll learn how to become a better entrepreneur in the short-term rental space with Airbnb. Listen in as we interview our expert colleagues, Joshua Adeboye and Norman Hamilton, and take advantage of their years of experience that will help you take your rentals to a whole new level. Welcome to the Comfy Living Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Adeboye, and I have my co-host with me, Norman Hamilton, on the line. And today's episode, we are interviewing a young, aspiring African, you know, a brother from another mother. You're Nigerian, aren't you, Michael, right? Hey, Alpha, you know. (laughs) What's the Alpha? Hey, small now, you know, they also get money now. (laughs) We have a good brother of mine, Michael, and uh, he's a pharmacist by day and at night. He started really quickly in the short-term rental game. He started with one. In under a year, he was able to acquire 10 units. So we're going to have Michael on the line. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's glad to have you on the show. So what's uh, we're going to start out with, uh, how did you get started with in the short-term rental space? Yeah. Growing up, everybody tells you, you know, get a job. In the African episode, you know, we have very limited career choices. Mm-hmm. You're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're an engineer, pharmacist. So I try to follow that part and become a pharmacist. But, you know, after going to school for six years and coming out and doing the job, I didn't really like it. It was tiring, long hours. You were at work like six days of the week. And the last day, you're just using it to just relax only to go to work the next day. So I was like, yo, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I said, let me look into real estate. So I looked into real estate. At that time, I was trying to look into long-term rentals, you know, and I was trying to buy properties in Texas. And I was also open to buying properties out of state. So I bought my first property out of state and it was a $40,000 house. Me and my partner paid cash for it. And the tenant was going to pay $750 a month. The, the property is in Illinois. But we got stuck with a squatter, like literally. Mm. We got the person is still there right now since 2019. The person is still there right now. Wow. Shout out to COVID for the eviction moratorium, giving people free housing. The person <laughs> is still there right now. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, we can't do long-term rentals. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I shifted and pivoted to short-term rentals. And my very first short-term rental was a primary resident I bought in Houston, Texas. And Second month, I cash flowed $1,000. I was like, this is more than I've ever cash flowed in a long-term tenant. I've been doing this for like six months. So I was like, this is the way to go. So that's how I got started, man. Nice, nice, nice. Did you get started by yourself or did you continue with that partner? Oh, no, no. So basically what we did was I had my own entity. He had his own entity. So okay. we're kind of doing short-term rentals, but just two separate entities. Okay, that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. It's yeah. good to have that you know, support team that you guys are on the same page. And you guys are being able to support each other. So that's really good, man. I'm glad to hear that because in this space, it's opened up a lot of doors and opportunities for us in order to take advantage of this great economy that we're in, right? So I'm definitely glad to hear that. So let's kind of dive right in. And uh, what's on your mind in terms of the short-term rental space? What are you thinking about now that you're at 10 units? Right. So I think when I tried the first time and... It worked out because you got to understand, I started right after the COVID lockdown. Like that's mm-hmm. the worst time to freaking start. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when that worked out, even with the lockdown, I automatically saw the potential. Like, yo, 
people are not traveling and I'm still able to cash flow. So imagine mm-hmm. if people could travel. So what was on my mind was if I can get 10 of this or if I can get five of these at that point, like I could quit my job. But we're humans, we get greedy. When I got to five, I'm like, if I can get another five, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what's on my mind in terms of short-term rentals is I just hope, because I got the training, I just hope that everybody getting into this space get the proper training and guidance Mm -hmm. to be able to do it right so they don't mess it up for we that actually got the proper training. Correct, correct. Right. We talk about that all the time, Josh and I, like, you know, people coming in, they don't necessarily have like the proper background in the industry or the proper training. They come in, they make it hard for everybody based off of their business practices. And I'm like, if you come in, you make it harder for everybody, then none of us could get properties. Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Absolutely. I'm dealing with that right now, (laughs) you know? So yeah, that's the biggest, I feel like there should be some kind of like regulation that, Oh, if you want to do short-term rental as a business, you need to go through some kind of certificate program. I feel like that should come in the near future so that not just anybody can just jump into it, you know? So, or you have some kind of license or certification that, Oh, this person is short-term rental certified or something Mm -hmm. to just give credibility, you know? That makes sense. So based on your experience, what education, what certificates, what route should people proceed and what people should not do or not follow that path? How do you think the prop- the person should enter this market? I think if you're entering into this market, you definitely need a guidance of at least somebody who has done it, whether it be in being a mentor or a course that you buy. Preferably a mentor, because at least you can run up to them or a support community, a community of hosts that you can just run up to and ask questions that, hey, I have this issue or, hey, what do you do about this? And how do you do this? Like just that community, just that support. You need that from people that are experienced. I, me getting started, I try to do it at first on my own. But when I realized that, yo, this is deep waters, mm-hmm. I had to turn to people who have been in the game for a long time. And that made all the difference, like literally. The resource they gave me was 20 times what I paid for the mentorship fee. Like if the mentorship fee was triple the amount, I would gladly pay that because it saved me a lot of mistakes. Wow. But, you know, a lot of these mentors, man, they be charging 5,000, 10,000. So how are you willing to take that risk and be able to make that investment into yourself? How did you get that confidence in yourself? At first, I didn't want to take that risk. When the mentor told me his price, I was like, ooh, okay, never mind. But when I got stuck, I was like, oh, there's no way out of it. And I know he has the answers for me. So I said, you know what? I just have to just pay that money. So I paid the money. And like literally after I paid the money, within like a few hours of me paying that money, it was just breakthrough. The information he gave me after paying that money was the breakthrough I needed. And now if I have any questions for the rest of my life, I can always go to this mentor because it was a lifetime program. So nice. I think it was valuable. So can you confidently say that you've definitely made a, a significant return on that investment that you made in the mentor? Oh, yeah, absolutely. From his connections, from his wholesale vendors giving me discounts, as photographer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot. Yeah. And that's what I, I always try to advocate to people that ask me advice about paying mentors is, yeah, there's a monetary value that you're paying for his mentorship. But people don't realize how much value outside of money that he's bringing, discounts, access to other people that they can connect you, cleaning staff. I would yep. pay thousands of dollars to have a great cleaner. Yep. That is vital to our business. Yep. 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. But yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Mentorship is very key. You need that proper guidance. You need that support. You need that community. And that's why I love Clubhouse. That's why I love Facebook. You know, mm-hmm. you have all these people there ready to answer your question wherever you get stuck. So that's important. Nice. You got to watch out for them Yahoo boys on Clubhouse though, man. We're for real? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> they got two units. Now they want to sell a class. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. That's the thing. You have to vet people's credibility too mm-hmm. before you like listen to what they have to say. I'll go to your profile. Okay, what you got going on? You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right on that. Yeah, definitely have to find the right mentor and, you know, making sure that, like you said, he has the credibility and also he's actually doing what he said he's teaching, you know? Absolutely. So that's good. So are you focusing on primarily apartments or do you work with actual residential properties? Yeah. So I'm focusing right now primarily on like apartments. Okay. I felt like that was going to be the fastest way to scale. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can pick up multiple units and even negotiate discounts for picking up multiple units. So it just made sense to just take three, four units with one deal and trying to talk to five, six, seven different landlords. And it's also easy for logistics. You can have one cleaner just clean all the units, all the stuff in one unit, and then have another cleaner clean all the stuff in one unit. So I focus mostly in apartments. Definitely, definitely. So when you first uh, got your first property and you approached the apartment landlord, what was that conversation like? How did you express that you wanted to get involved? Right. So my actually, my first property, I was the landlord. I did it with my primary, but my first arbitrage unit. Okay. The thing was, I already called a lot of people and they already told me no. So you know how when you're searching for certain things, when you go on Instagram, it'll pop up like something similar to that. So it started popping up like apartment ads on Instagram and forms to fill it out. So I just, because I was tired of getting no's, I just filled out like a couple of them. And then one of the, but I filled it out and I put my business name instead of my name. So the guy reached out to me like, hey, you know, I see you filled out the form online. And then I asked him, hey, do you guys do corporate listing? I was like, oh yeah, we do. I was like, oh, okay. So I got there, looked at the unit. This unit is literally right in front of NRG. I feel like that's the perfect, like, unit for me at that point because i was like yo the rodeo is coming man i'm about to charge 500 dollars a night for this one bedroom because i'm literally in front of the stadium <laughs> so i was already thinking in my head like yo it's about to be a jam so when i got there and you know looked at it, it everything went well so i spoke to him like yo this is what i'm trying to do and then he was like oh yeah that's perfectly fine saunders is in here saunders have 10 units in here i'm like oh shit for real that's fine Let's do it, <laughs> you know? So I feel like it was so easy. The hardest part was just getting that for the first, because I called like 40 apartments and they all told me no. The hardest part was just trying to just keep trying to get that person who would say yes and not try to like cut corners and fly under the radar. That was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you finally got that yes, how did you feel? What were you thinking about? What was the next move for you? Man, once I got that yes, they told me yes. I said I want two units. I didn't even start with one. <laughs> I was like, I want boss moves. I went <laughs> boss moves. I went to Amazon, started ordering furniture. I was like, yo, it's about to believe. Two days later, boxes were just all over the place. Amazon boxes. I was so excited. You know, even my partner was still like hesitating. Like, dude, can you wait till after this old COVID stuff is over before you? You don't know if people would this. You know, I was like, look. 
the devil is a liar. Get away from me saying, I'm doing this, you know? <laughs> I, nobody could tell me no. I was so excited. I was like, yo, we got to do this. So I was definitely excited. I started that's good though. Yep. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it, you know, for sure. And, you know, one thing I also mentioned is that during that pandemic of the, between 2019 to end of 2020, that was really the time to stop picking up a lot of units. Because yes. I'm sure you notice now that they're increasing all these rates on these apartment units now. So nope. the fact that you got it, now you establish your foundation to nope. now say, I already have two over or 10 over here. I can exactly. go get more now. So Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And right yeah. now... It is like super saturated in Houston. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is like the wrong time to try to pick up because it's going to be really, really hard. Yeah. You know, because like apartments, like as I have a lot of apartments, like leasing agents, they say, man, they get a lot of corporate housing, like corporate lease inquiries. Like it's annoying. Like every single day someone's calling about it, mm-hmm. you know? So it is going to be hard right now to pick up anything, at least in the hot spot. You Clubhouse, know? man. Yep, it's because of Clubhouse. Clubhouse, man. People don't even know what they're doing, man. Like, y- y'all already know how I feel about this, man. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. But I look at it this way. Like, it will just force you to become more creative. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, everybody wants to run you. Where is everybody not running to that I could potentially make a killing from? Yep. Exactly. You know, that market research, you go back to the drawing board. I already have 10 in Houston. Let me see where what other market I'm going to attack, you know? Mm-hmm. what other places are people not going or not willing to go that's yep. the key that's where you make the money exactly exactly oh uh, honest, other, honestly guys yeah go ahead go ahead sorry yeah i said the other thing you could do is you could try to offer like amenities that i won't personally do it but in a saturated market you can offer value that other people are not willing to offer if you do that then you stand out for example people that cater to pets not everybody want to do that. So if you do that, you can make a killing of it. I don't, I personally wouldn't do it, but I know other people that do. Yeah, we do it too. And it's definitely something that, of course, we definitely make more money, but there's also more risk to furniture damage. We have to make sure that the unit is clean and pet uh, hair free. And we have to make sure that it's, you know, it's more, a little bit more accommodating for us. And it's a part of the business, but that allows us to stand out than the others. Yeah, I'll say this about pets. The the value prop is is definitely there and you can you can charge insane premiums. Yep. But like the reason we even do it is because like our our check-in process for our properties is strict. Like we and we can talk about that offline, but our our check-in procedures are very strict. Mm. And so that's why we're willing to take the risk because we have guidelines set up to basically to filter out people that we don't think would be a good fit for our properties. And I mean, you can ask Josh like I've I'll run people through the tools that we have. You know, I'll say, okay, like this person is high risk based off of these requirements. You know, I even show our team like conversation logs of somebody who's a bad person and like times that we've made mistakes so that they know like, hey, like this is a high risk tenant. It's not safe to go this route with this individual. But like, long story short, there's opportunity there, especially in competitive markets, but it is high risk. Mm, but you guys are still doing a lot to me to get that risk. That's what I'm getting here. Yes. Yes. So do you guys like have any... Because there's like Weibo, there's Safely. Do you guys use any of that to like, you know, kind of cover yourself outside of, you know, your typical like rentals insurance and 
like your typical like short-term rentals insurance and because I know some people do that where they charge the guests like $40 per reservation. Do you do something like that too? We do. So we like the whole insurance thing is a rabbit hole in itself. But like what we do have at the moment are like we have general liability, obviously. Like then there's, you know, if you're on Airbnb, Airbnb has its own, like not the host guarantee, but they have like the 1 million liability thing. Verbal has that too. But I mean, for us, we have the renters insurance that's required from the buildings. We have general liability. And like we are discussing like stacking on different layers of insurance and like the groups that we are in. Um, And like once we honestly, once we figure out what the best strategy is for insurance, like that's going to be the next big thing that we go into to, to answer your question. Okay. Sounds good. I mean, yeah, shit. I agree with you on, you know, trying to have that layers of insurance. Yes. Right. Like we literally just had the conversation with, I don't know if you know Micah, but we literally just had the conversation in our mastermind group a couple of days ago like talking about that, like what is the best uh, strategy when it comes to that and how do you structure it best to like truly make sure you're protected, especially when you decide to go like the direct booking route. Obviously you can do like security deposits, but like that insurance stuff still matters. So, I mean, like we have a laundry list of materials I have to review. And I think we have a conversation at the end of the month. And so like, honestly, I'll probably be able to tell you like at the beginning of May, which route we decide to go with that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'm, I'm curious to know if this, like I said, I'm, Growing my business and as it's getting bigger, I have to constantly hide things and make certain changes. So I'm you have to connecting with you guys to see, you know, what you guys have to mitigate that is. Likewise, man. That's why we brought you here. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you're at 10 units, you gotta ask a big question. Why haven't you quit your job, man? Actually, I'm an extended leave of absence for like a month now, just because I set up the last four within match. So the reason why I haven't quit my job yet is because, well, it's two big reasons. Number one is the 401k match, man. 5% 401k match and the benefit is like, ugh. I want to quit, but I want this 401k to grow a little bit more mm-hmm. <laughs> to the part whereby I have leverage when I'm taking loans and all of that. Once to see your 401k balance is six figures, they're like, okay, sounds good. So that is number one. And then number two, it's just easier to close, like to refinance like investment properties when you have a W-2, like it's just much easier. So those are the two main reasons why I still haven't quit, but I will quit very soon, but those are the two main reasons. Those corporate benefits. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, it's so easy to be able to acquire more property once you have that W-2, you know. Once they see you, oh, you're a pharmacist, they already assume that you make big money. So, you know, they're willing to work with you and give you whatever you want. So, you know, that's, it's definitely an advantage. Yep. I've had lenders tell me like one of my investment property I just closed on, they will not consider my Airbnb income at all. Like they say, yeah, we can't factor that to your debt to income ratio. They just go straight by my W-2 or my rental income. Mm. I'm like, what? (laughs) The bulk of my money is here. They say, yeah, we can't factor that. Why don't you lease it to your business? Hmm? You said what? You can't lease it to your business? Uh, lease it to the business? So, yeah, lease the property to the business, and then the business pays you rent. He said right now the underwriters will frown at leases to business. I'm just like, if they were just basically saying because of COVID, they couldn't mm. do leases to business. It has to be an actual person. Or they have uh, to- you need another bank. Yeah. At that point, I think I, I didn't even close on the deal because they were just doing too much. But mm. all of that just tells me that, hey, you know, I have to just... And I'll stick to my W-2 for now until I get a nice size portfolio and get a good series of lenders that are more flexible. So yeah, that's why I'm still here, man. Definitely. So how do you balance that knowing where your goal is and 
knowing, still having to be in that situation of doing the job and the business. You know, as I talked about earlier, what if you get to that place where you're comfortable with your job? When do you know that, okay, this is when I need to pull the trigger and I'm done? Is there like a number? Is there a number? Is there a quantitative value that you have to say, okay, once I reach this, I'm out of here? Yeah. You don't know yet. So it's a complicated answer. <laughs> the way I can put it is this my job, because of how saturated the market is for pharmacists, because if you watch pharmacist job market, said 10 years ago, it was really great. Five years ago, it started to get bad. So the more saturated it is, the worse the job conditions become. So I feel like it's a mixture of both. If it gets to a point whereby I'm like, I'm really, really being super overworked, I'm like, yeah, I can't do this no more. Or if it gets to a point whereby the Airbnb business, I'm making like, I'm talking seven figures in revenue. Like, okay, yeah. I need to, <laughs> you know, the so seven figures in revenue or me being super overworked. Those are like the two figures that like, you know what, me being overworked here and I'm not able to spend time with my business. It's costing me more money, you know, mm-hmm. to work for somebody else instead of me investing that time in my business. So it's a balance of two. That's kind of my answer. That's pretty much where we are. I'm pretty sure Josh could talk about it. Like we've definitely had times where like we lost out on an opportunity, a business opportunity because of our day job. Like I've lost on like just huge opportunities because, oh, I got to be in a meeting. And because I'm in a meeting, oh, yo, I just missed this thing that could have turned into not could have, but would have turned into something big. So like I'm definitely in the same boat as you, man. Like it's hard to balance that double life. And to be honest, sometimes it's hard to make that jump into entrepreneurship full time because you got to look at what you've given up. Like, yeah, okay, the job sucks. But like, dude, like you said, spoke about the 401k. I mean, health insurance, right? Like 401k. Like health insurance, there's these other benefits. A lot of people think, oh, like, you know, you quit and that's it. But like, you got to be real with it. And like everyone, you have to be real with it. You have to gauge what you're willing to give up is. And then like, based off of that, you determine when you make that leap sometimes. And honestly, dude, sometimes like either you retire or your job retires you. So you got to consider that. That's true. That's also a possibility. They can fire me (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) or lay me off. Yeah. Yeah. And then at that point, you have a choice, but to like, just... Focus on the business, you know. Right. But so. it's good that you actually established that because there's a report that says that, you know, in everyone's career, you know, whether they work 30 or 40 years, they're going to get fired at least twice in their career. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of times it may not be because of their job or their effort. It could be just because of the economy or the certain yep. circumstances. So you're in an advantage because now you have another business, another source of income that is coming in. Yep. That's true. That's true. I agree with that. Yeah, that's good. So where do you want to take your business? Where do you see your business going in the next five years? The next five years, I see my business probably at that point, I should be hopefully in three digits units. That's the goal. Get to that three digits. You know, at that point, have multiple people working for me and I can just be sipping mojito in a highland somewhere. Six months out of the year and the other six months, I run my business. That's the goal. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So what do you think that you need to implement in order to make that happen? What systems do you think you need to get there? That's a heavy question. (laughs) Systems are very, very, very important. As far as systems I need to get there, I feel like I don't even know the full answer to that question. I feel like every day I'm learning another answer to that question. You know, for example, when it comes to cleaning, when I had one unit, I only had one cleaner. You know, when I had four, you need only have one cleaner. When I got to more than five, 
I realized like, yo, the cleaners couldn't keep up. There were times they would tell me no, and I didn't have a backup. So I'll have to go on Facebook groups, scrambling for cleaners. You know, I was like, yo, this is not going to work. So I had to have a system of having a primary, secondary, and tertiary cleaners. And as I grow, it will even be four, five, six different cleaners that if someone tells you, no, you can jump onto the next person. And then also, as I started to scale, I realized like, yo, Smart BMB is not cutting it anymore. And me is not cutting. I need somebody else to respond to these messages, especially these 2 a.m., 3 a.m. messages when I'm asleep. I need somebody else to get to that. So as you're starting to grow, you realize that you have more needs for other stuff that you can't take care of yourself. And then you just implement the systems as you go. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the major systems have to do with your cleaning, which is number one, housekeeping, hands down, would be the number one thing that you want to have a system in place for. And then number two thing you want to have a system in place for is your guest communication and customer service. Because if those two things suck, you don't have an Airbnb business. That's very true. That's very That's true. true. Yeah, definitely. So how are you handling your guest communication? Are you still using Smart BNB or have you evolved to something else? Right now, we use Smart BNB for the repetitive stuff like checking, checkout, the screening questions. And we also use Smart BNB for like the keyword stuff like Wi Fi. Can we check in, check in early? Can we check out early? You know, what restaurants are in the area? We use Smart BNB for that. Now, when the human approach comes, I'm involved still, but I'm also in the process of hiring a virtual assistant. I'm involved and I have an actual assistant, not virtual. That is also involved too as well. We split it between each other. But I'm also in the process of hiring a virtual assistant to take care of that for me at this point. I'm going to give you some advice on that. For like the guidebook and house manual, we use postfully for that. Yeah. Okay. Hey, man, cool. I'll, I'll take any advice, man. LinkedIn, man. LinkedIn? Link, LinkedIn. That's that's the bomb I'm going to drop today. And that's all I'm going to say, man. LinkedIn. Link, LinkedIn. We have the two. We hired the two best virtual assistants. In the entire world, I'm telling you, it's, you know, they're really on point because one thing about them is that the way they carry themselves is very professional. You know, Mm -hmm. they always are respectful and they actually have the experience in the industry, but it's not Mm -hmm. Airbnb experience. It's hospitality experience. It's customer Mm -hmm. service experience. It's how to interact with different people. And one of our VAs actually speaks Portuguese. So that already tells you she has the mindset of being able to interact with other cultures. So shout out to That's those two. On your Airbnb profile, you can say speak Portuguese. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Shout out to those Portuguese clients. There's a filter for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, dude. But I can agree, man. Man, like 18 units, managing 18 units, especially on the communication level with one person, like Smart BNB, like as great as it is, like there's just some things that like eight can't answer. Yeah. And you- you need a person there for that, man. So like, I mean, Josh could see it like compared to like how I was when I first started to how I am now, dude, like it, like the interactions just eat away, at least for me personally, like it just eats away at like your patience level. And it was kind of getting to a point where I was like, yeah, dude, we got to bring in help, like seriously. But like, it was definitely one of the best things that we could, that anybody can do because it gives you more time to focus on like managing and growing other aspects of the business instead of like, oh, every 30 seconds, you got to check your phone. Oh, you got a notification. Oh, you got a phone call. Oh, you got this. You got that. Like it allows you to have that hyper focus on what you're trying to do, which is pick up units. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. Seriously. seriously. And to give you a man and to drop another gem here, dude, like it's more than just guest communication, right? Like you can have them like, 
once you train them and once they master guest communication, now it's like, okay, cool. This is how we analyze deals. You know, okay, now I'm going to show you how I find deals. I need you to go find these deals while I'm asleep. And then when you wake up, depending on whatever time zone they're in that you're in, now you got a whole list of deals presented to you based off of your criteria. And in some cases, they'll even do the phone calls for you. You can have one, create a list of deals that meet your criteria for short-term rentals. And you can have another one do the qualification calls for the property management companies for you. And then you can have them schedule the meeting on your calendar. So you wake up, you see your calendar, you're like, oh, I'm going here today to see this. Okay. And then you see in your inbox, you see in your inbox, like a list of details about the property. Okay. These are some photos. This is what I'm going to do today. Okay. Bet. Mm, That's the life right there. And right now, like, honestly, we're at step one. Once our team is done with the training process, like that's the route we plan on going. And then as we get more doors, like we're going to scale the team out according to that demand. And I mean, dude, it is great because it's like you're in your own company and it's like, yo, I'm actually managing this. Like you're obviously responsible for the success of like your team, your company, but like I'm in my company, I'm managing it. I'm running it the way I want to run. Like I'm creating the culture I want to create. And then it's, it's a real beautiful thing. Yep. Definitely. I agree with you on that. That's a dream. Yeah, definitely. Now, you said that you had an actual assistant. Is that a friend or a colleague? And how are you, I guess, compensating that person? Right. So he's not a friend. So he actually reached out to me trying to be a co-host, but he didn't have any experience. He's a young guy, 21 years old, didn't have any experience. So I gave him the option that, yo, instead of you being a co-host, you don't, since you don't have any experience, don't want to really hire you. How about you just come work for me? For now, get that experience. And then if you decide you want to stay, you can just stay. And if you decide you want to just go do your co-hosting, you can do that. So just give me these two years, get that experience. And if you want to do your course, then you can do that afterwards. So that's kind of how I got it. And the pay, it's a monthly pay. And he basically has set hours during the week and is also on call every other week. Wow. That sounds great. That sounds like a great opportunity for somebody who's looking to start out because now they're working for you and your business and they're learning and they're getting paid for this opportunity. Yep, yep exactly. So, and it's the win for me because that relieved me off a lot of duties, you know, because now a lot of times whereby something happens, I won't even realize it happened until he's already taken care of it for me. Whereas before, if I'm not there, then it doesn't get taken care of. So it's just a relief that, oh, at least every now and then, Every other week, somebody's taking care of stuff for me. I don't have to worry about it every single day. Yep, yep. And man, wait till you you start getting those, you know, three-figure units. Now you're going to have a whole bunch of co-hosts and a whole bunch of people working for you. Man, <laughs> no, no, no. Yep, that's the goal, man. Yeah. Go. I'm right behind you guys. <laughs> yeah, man. You're right there, man. We're right there, man. So, and it's good to see, you know, us, you know, in this industry that are aspiring. So, you know, we can now set up opportunities. You know, when I start hearing deals, you know, I can reach out to you, say, hey, would you be interested? And vice versa. We know we can start sharing the opportunity for all of us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we can even leverage each other. Like, let's say we're trying to go to an apartment. I can pick up five and you can pick up five. And we can pick up 10, just go as a group. Hey, we'll pick up 10, give us like a discount on the rent or give us exactly. three months free because we have more leverage together. Yes. That's kind of what I do with my other friends too, but... Even with you guys, it will be more leverage, you know? Exactly. exactly. Honestly, that's, so the benefit to that is like, 
like you have the big guys, right? Like you have the Saunders and you have some of these other companies and you have like the medium sized guys such as us. Like we may not have like the leverage that like a Sonder has, mm-hmm. but like what we do have is because like the advantage in being like a smaller operator is that like you you're more in touch with what's going on on a day to day in the properties. And yep. so you can leverage that to build better relationships with the property management. Whereas like some of these other companies will pick up like 25 units and then they'll just up and leave 25 units. So they'll get like 10 and just leave. And like the management hates them. Like being more personable allows us to get into some of these buildings, build really great relationships with the people there. And then like leverage those relationships to get more units with the same management companies. It's a very beneficial situation for like people going in as a team and then also going in with the property management companies in different buildings. That's something that me and Josh are trying to work out right now. Mm. I definitely agree with you on that because the guy that called me for my very first unit, when he left that apartment complex and went to a different apartment complex, and you know this apartment complex is a totally different side of town, but he actually saw a potential that, hey, yo, this would be a good market for you. So we haven't talked in like three months, but because I got his personal number and I gave him his, but he reached out to me like, yo, this place is a gem. You need to come check this place out. Right. When he told me the place, I'm like, that can be a gem. What you mean? Oh, all the way out there? All the way, like, not West Cypress? Really? This place is a gem? So when I went out there and I was like, yo, I'm nestled in between two hospitals. They have, like, the metro. The apartment complex is great. There's a medical center literally walking distance. I'm like, yeah, you're right. This place is a gem. But if I didn't view that personal relationship with him, like you said, or I didn't get his number, he won't even be able to reach out to me that, yo, you know, come pick up units over here. Dude. So I definitely agree with you on that. Even when it comes to property management, that's kind of how it is too. Like you get one unit and they're like, oh, we have a cystic property over here. You can go there and pick up units and boom, you go there and pick up more units, you know? Right. So- and it's funny you mentioned that, man, because like our data was, we have like a lot of tools that we look at and a lot of lead generation that like lets us know, oh, like someone is making a housing request here. Someone is making a housing request there. Like we were getting some housing requests for Cyprus. And like mm-hmm. in hindsight, Josh, that definitely makes sense now, right? With the hospitals, that little, that medical oh, center. Yeah. We were looking at those outside markets and like the cat's already out of the bag. So I mean, we might as well just say it at this point. Like, like yep. everyone is trying to get in Houston, but the problem, but the barrier to entry for like those, those uh, other cities is the distance, right? Like they don't yep. know how to operate from a distance. I'm in Mexico. We got 18 properties in Houston and we're running the properties because we built a really good team. We built a really good system. Josh has been in Dallas since 2017. And we've had these properties in Houston, different properties since 2018. And like at most, maybe Josh comes to Houston maybe once a month. There's spans of months when Josh doesn't even come here. And it's really just because of the team that we built. Mm. Like that could be our advantage. Like you said, when you go to Cyprus, like you're in Houston, everyone can't go to Cyprus because they still trying to figure out how do I get good cleaners? Oh, how do I get the furniture in the place? How do I set up X amount of units at once? You know, we already got that figured out. So that might be the advantage in a saturated market. Go where other people can't go. One of our, my favorite real estate investor, his name is Elliot. I can't, I can't pronounce his last name, but his Instagram handle is Ace Invest. He said something that stuck with me. He said, the reason why I have a successful real estate business is because I run away from the competition. Like run away from the competition. Wherever there's too much competition, run away and find your own unique market. If you do that, you're going to make a lot of money. By the time the competition runs there, you already said you can run away to somewhere else. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking about now. Let's finding those unique marketplaces 
So yeah, definitely check out Cypress. I will be checking them out too. They got the hospitals. PV is like 20, 25 minutes from there. So mm. like, it's a lot of opportunities there. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing I always tell people about competitive markets, especially Houston, is like, yo, what's value at today is going to be common tomorrow. Yeah. Like, you know, the things that we talk about today are things that are going to be like value add. And this is just my opinion. So like, take it for what you will. But like the things that we talk about today that are going to be value add for the properties. Oh, add this. Oh, add that. Like, I'm not necessarily a pessimist, but I really always think that like your competition is going to get better. Like that's just how industries are, right? Like regulations and stuff come in or like things change that like force people to operate in a different way. And it's, it's capitalism, right? If you don't do better, you're going to get killed. So that's why I really think like what we talk about is value at today is everyone's going to be doing it tomorrow. So we got to figure out what the next play is. And so like, definitely I agree with you when you said, oh yeah, like run away from the competition, always look for that unique spot. Because I'm like, listen, like, you know, we might be in Houston three years from now. Like we're making very good premiums um, in Houston right now. And Houston is super saturated, super, super competitive, but that might not be the case in three years because everyone's hip to the game. Everyone got better, right? This is still new. It's like with crypto. Nobody knew what crypto was when it first, you know, when cryptocurrency stuff first came out. Now like people are getting smarter. People are getting more like hip to like how crypto works and stuff like that. And like, you know, that bar is just going to get higher and higher and higher. Yep. Strongly agree with that. If you look back at Airbnb in 2016, 2017, you could literally get started with a couch, maybe a table, a freaking air mattress, and people will book you. Now do that, you're not going to get any booking. You will not get any booking. You do that, you'll get banned from the platform. (laughs) The bar is getting higher, man. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. And we as entrepreneurs have to adapt. You know, you can adapt by either having more value or you can adapt by running to a less competitive market, you know. So if you can find a way to do both, I feel like that's how you can survive. And also building your own direct clientele that comes back to you. Oh, my goodness. That's also another one. That is also another one. I think it's going to take at least 10 years for that aspect of the this isn't really based on much, but I just it's just what I've seen. I think it might take like at least five to 10 years for that aspect of the game to mature out the whole direct booking thing. Cause like I'm a technical person. And so like, you know, I work with customer relationship management software. That's kind of what I do in my day job. So like how leads get generated, like what you can do with the data from leads, how you can use the data that you're getting from the leads to like automate certain things, how you can like have a list of customers. This is my segment of my customers that pay the most. Okay. Like And this is the data on those customers. Like, how do we make decisions based off of that data? I think that's going to take at least like 10 years to fully mature, at least like in this segment of hospitality and short-term rentals. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking I could be wrong. I don't know what you think. I don't know if it's going to take 10 years. I kind of disagree with you on that. And the reason why is this, it goes back to, like I said, the competition thing, because it will get to a point whereby you won't be getting as much bookings on Airbnb as you are right now. Because it's going to mm-hmm. get to a point whereby the market will be super saturated. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing with my profession. My profession in 2010, you come out, you're getting $30,000 sign-on bonus with BMW leases. My profession in 2020, you're getting an offer of less than six figures in the middle of nowhere, Texas. No sign-on bonus. So within that space of 10 years, a lot can change. In this space, the way people are jumping in with clubhouse and a lot of free info out there, I feel like it's going to happen Sooner than 10 years. Okay. So the disagreement is that not that it's going to take 10 years. It's probably going to happen sooner than that. Yeah, I think it'll be sooner. It'll it'll eventually happen, but I think it'll be sooner than that with the way the information is just going out. So the barrier to the info now is 
so low that you know everybody's just jumping on it. Yeah. You know? One thing a mentor of mine that I also paid for his course, he always told me, he said that no matter how much your competition is out there, no matter how big they get, if you always focus on the customer, you will never lose money. You will always stay in business because now you're focusing on the customer's needs. You're not worried about what this competitor is doing and that competitor is doing. As long as you focus on what the customer wants, they will always pay for what you provide. Yep, I agree with that. Strongly agree with that. I also think you building that brand for yourself, which is also part of the direct booking, is also very important. Because once they see that brand or they see anything that reminds you of your brand, they already have a positive feeling, a positive attitude with it, you know. Because another thing you got to understand is Airbnb, the brand is not, like when people hear Airbnb, they're like, their guide is hot, you know. So that brand itself, even though they're doing a lot to kind of, some people have a bad rapport with Airbnb. Whereas if you build your brand to a point whereby they hear your brand and they have a good rapport with it, it's, oh yeah, stay there. You know, the people are nice, they're very personable, the place is clean, spotless. They would always come back to that brand. And you always want to be able to capture those people to always come back to you. Because that's also one of my goals for this year, that I want to make sure that 10% of my bookings are direct booking, you know, little by little. And that number is slowly going to increase. I'll still use Airbnb, but at the same time, if the guests can come directly to me, they trust me and I trust them. Because if I've had a good relationship with them, the first two, three stays... I won't be worried that, oh, they're going to tear up my place, you know, because I know that, oh, yeah, they stay with me before they're good people. You get what I'm saying? Definitely. Exactly. I, I agree. I agree 100%. So, Michael, where can the audience find more information about you or reach out to you? Right. So I have a business page on Instagram, Book Bigger Space. Also on a Facebook, Book Bigger Space, the way it sounds together. And then my personal is a very good boy. I like to be a good boy <laughs> on Instagram. You can also check us out on the website, uh, bookbiggestspace.com. You can book with us as well directly, or feel free to shoot me an, an email or shoot my assistant an email from the website. We'll get back to you. That's me in a nutshell, man. Sounds good. So we'll link all of his websites and contact info into the show notes. So thank you so much for having you on the show, Michael. And we would love to have you back here again because this was a great episode. Great episode. Dude, we ain't even finished half the things we wanted to talk. We, you have to come back. Like, seriously. No worries. No worries. I'll be back. I'll be back. Thank you guys so much for having me. And you guys are doing good. And man, I respect you guys a lot, honestly, from afar. I respect you a lot. I respect that you know me from afar, man. You're like, you're doing it, man. Just hearing you guys' story of how you guys jumped into it, that's very, very motivating. I'm proud of you guys. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Comfy Living Podcast. Make sure you visit our website, comfylivings.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Spotify and iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out.